Hello everyone and welcome to Founders Ascent, pod- the podcast where we talk about books relating to fitness, entrepreneurship, and self-improvement. My name is BJ and I'm here with Gavin and we're discussing 12 Rules for Life by Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, part two. We covered the first six rules for life in uh, part one, so be sure to check that out. And we're going to jump right into it. Gavin, what are your first thoughts about rules seven through 12? Yeah, so starting off here with rule seven, we're going to be talking about doing what is meaningful and not what is expedient. So I think it would be worth it here to just quickly define what expedience is. Doing what is expedient is essentially doing what is arm's reach of you within the current moment. It's doing what is easy. It's essentially the opposite of delayed gratification. I guess we could call it instant gratification. And so in rule seven here, Jordan talks about delayed gratification and how we need to, in order to create meaning and and better ourselves, we need to have sacrifice within the current moment okay you need to be able to sacrifice and and sacrifice a lot of time in order to become really good at something in order to have that delayed gratification there in the future i think this is kind of similar to the book atomic habits we talked about that in our in an earlier episode yeah best episode ever right and in in that book he talks about how you need to do something over and over and over again and doing something consistently for a long period of time is not expedient by any means it's rather difficult and i think it will create a lot of meaning within a person's life doing something like that over and over and over again and i can't think of a better example of sacrifice than that one there with somebody, but that somebody is your future self. And so you have to think through, oh, and have trust that, oh, if I don't receive an immediate reward now, in the future, I'm going to get that. And you have to really just believe that what you're doing is actually going to have an impact and that investment will actually pay off. It's very hard to sacrifice when things are uncertain, but when things are more stable and you realize, oh, there's very few things that could go horribly, horribly wrong that would actually uh, be just so horrible that it's not worth taking the risk. Like, there's a few things that show you definitely need to avoid death, jail, complete destitute poverty, but a lot of other things, embarrassments, um, failures, those are actually you can take those and survive those in most cases. It's just fear that's keeping them away. And so doing what actually is going to probably provide the most value, what actually is meaningful rather than just looking for the quick win, the easy reward you can get, is just way better than uh, any other strategy to try to optimize your return. So that's just a quick breakdown of the first chapter. I think that the one last thing worth mentioning actually is that you experience the most maximum growth 
when you're at the edge of your capabilities. Because anything less than that, it's just going to be easy and trivial and boring, and you won't want to pursue it. And anything above that, it's going to be too difficult, and you'll become discouraged, and those failures will actually stack up. But if you're just at the edge of capabilities, where you're just beyond what you know how to do, and you're in the area where you still have to learn and you still have to grow, that's where you actually experience the most returns. And so long as you stay in that state, you can very quickly accelerate your growth. And if you're consistent, that acceleration mixed with consistency, compounded over however long you do it, that's going to provide some actual real meaning in your life rather than just quick, immediate rewards. And so that brings us to rule eight, which is to tell the truth or at least don't lie. And in a similar vein, I think about the compound growth and how that, that compound growth also applies to relationships. And so if you're lying, then all that trust you're building up immediately disappears and you lose that compound growth. But if you're constantly telling the truth, even when it's difficult, even when it might be more expedient to lie and you avoid some immediate suffering, it's more worthwhile to build a meaningful relationship where you can have difficult conversations and just so long as they know that you're being honest and that you're coming from a place of that's not malicious, that you're actually trying to help the person or accomplish a goal and having that understanding, over the long term, you'll build up a relationship where they can just trust you what you're saying, which makes doing stuff a whole lot harder. If people constantly think you're trying to trick them and manipulate them, there's nothing you can say that's going to fix that. If you're known as a manipulator, what can you say that's not going to sound like a manipulation? A good argument is just going to feel like a manipulation or a lie. So you need to make sure that you're building up that trust over a long time, and you'll receive the rewards for building that relationship in the fact that they'll be able to trust you and um, you'll be someone that they want to work with in the future and recommend to other people. And th that compound effect of networking is actually what's stacking up uh, as you build that trust. Yeah, and an important thing to, to mention here as well is he's saying tell the truth or at least don't lie. That doesn't necessarily mean that like telling the truth doesn't mean saying because if you really don't want to tell someone someone something that you've done or something like that that doesn't mean you have to tell them that's not what telling the truth is right you you're allowed to withhold information from somebody but lying straight to their face saying hey i didn't do x y and z now that's that's what Dr. Peterson here is essentially telling us not to do, right? And I think a good example that I can can bring here with the whole compound trust thing that we're talking about is so last year with with my coach during track season, I had a little hip thing that was bugging me when I ran and I mentioned it to my coach and and she was talking to me about how I need to go see the trainer and so week went by, took a took some time off of running to heal my hip, and I get back and, and she goes, "Hey, did you see the trainer?" And I said, "Yes," even though I hadn't. And it was the easy thing to do. There it was the expedient thing to do, right? I didn't have to really sacrifice anything. I thought I could twist reality there for a little split second and get out of it there real quick. And 
at the end of practice, I walked up to her and told her that what I had initially told her was in fact a lie and that I had not gone to the trainer. And she did tell me explicitly that she thought even more of me because I had gone up to her and said that I did lie about the situation at hand there. And I think in the end, it was better. And I think she trusts me a lot more now because of what I did there. So we can move on to rule nine now, chapter nine here. And Jordan says in this rule that we need to assume that the person we are listening to knows something that we do not. Okay. And sometimes when you're having a conversation with another person, it's really easy to dismiss what they're saying sometimes, right? I mean, context does matter, but sometimes when you're having a conversation with another person, you may look down upon them, especially if I find myself guilty of this a lot, but if somebody that I'm talking to or, or if I'm listening to somebody in a presentation or something like that, and they say the words like or um multiple times within each sentence, I find myself a lot more likely to dismiss what they're actually saying and start to focus on how they're not the most precise with their speech. And I think it ends up taking away from the conversation at hand. And I think I need to stop doing that because I think I could learn a lot more from other people if... I stopped doing this. Yeah, and, and I really relate this one back to um, Never Split the Difference by, difference by Chris Voss. I, I think that was episode four, in which uh, he makes a big deal about if, if you assume the other person in the, in the negotiation thinks like you, it's not you being empathetic, that's you projecting your own opinions onto them. And so avoiding that and instead approaching each person as a unique individual who has had unique experiences and they've learned from those experiences and that's built up their perceptions of reality and that's reflected in what they say and do, you, you realize that everything someone says and does is a lot more interesting because it's the result of all these different things compounding up that years and years of experiences are all being synthesized right here in their opinions and the biases that they have. And so if you look for that, you can learn a lot about a person by what they're saying. And if you're going through and like, oh, this person knows nothing. No, they know their experiences and you know yours. You need to learn from their experiences in order to have access to as much knowledge as possible. And so if you just avoid and tune out anyone who, just because you think, oh, they don't know something, that's you, that's you choosing to not know something. That's you choosing to not learn from this other person's experiences with the world, which it can be difficult to synthesize that information from a person. But if you practice this and it becomes a habit, you really can just, in any conversation, just hear, oh, this is why they're thinking that. Uh, one of my friends, it, they, they kind of annoyed me in, um, and I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, they uh, really wanted to go home and feed their dog, but they hadn't eaten anything all day. And what I sort of read into that beyond the fact that, hey, they need to take care of themselves, is why aren't they taking care of themselves? 
And if it's a lack of confidence, if they don't feel like they deserve to be taken care of, then that's something I really need to change because that's going to compound and become an issue that they need to have some self-worth and be a stable human being. And so I'm really hoping that that isn't quite what it is. But by reading into in between the lines and trying to figure that out, I now know, know more or might know more about that person. And so I think it's really important that we just anytime we're interacting with a person, treat them as an individual with those experiences and that knowledge and then try to gain access to that through your interactions. Yeah, and I think another interesting thing I, I'm going to add here is I was listening to this interview with Mr. Beast one time and he was talking about screwing up and messing up. And I think he was talking about the example of YouTube. So let's pretend you and your friend are both new to YouTube and you're making content and let's say you mess up five times, okay? Well, let's assume your friend also messes up five times, right? If you and your friend are or talking with each other about your your screw ups and your mess ups here, you're a, you're going to be able to learn from their screw ups, right? And if you guys are convening and and talking about the lessons that you've learned, then your growth can or may be in this example double what it could have been with the alternative of you guys not conversing with one another and not telling your screw ups with another with one another, right? And so if your friend messes up on something and, and realizes that this specific type of thumbnail gets way less views, then that's going to save you a lot of time and that's going to save you a lot of struggle there. And hopefully, in the end, you're going to get to where you want to go a lot quicker as a result of that. So I think this example here is really good and it's coming from Mr. Beast. So I think a lot of people here are going to be familiar with his videos at least. And, and I, th I thought it was a really good example. Yeah, and you just reminded me of something that I wanted to talk about in Rule 8 with talking about YouTube. I remember hearing in a Gary Vee interview that um, he said that a, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of people are making, uh, a lot of really young people too, are making hundreds of thousands, if not millions, through YouTube and through their personal brand. But they're doing it in a way that seems sort of, or that is just either not genuine or scammy and just trying to uh, extort their audience and extract value from them rather than actually building that community and actually being focused on that. And so what he said he had realized is that while all these maybe uh, millionaires uh, just at the beginning of their business careers are uh, getting that immediate reward, all these super like decamillionaires or billionaires are looking at these people and be like, I will never do business with you because of how you're treating these people or how you're conducting business. It's not, you are not someone I want to associate with. And so by behaving in that sort of unethical sort of scammy way, I, I don't know quite how to describe it, but in, in the same way of telling the truth, the, they early in their careers have uh, shown to people that could have had a great impact on them that they aren't people that they want to deal with. And so in the same way that um, you need to tell the truth, and at least don't lie, but also with 
assuming the person you're listening to um, knows something you don't, you should assume also that the people, uh, that the person you're listening to maybe will be in a different situation in the future. You need to be sure that you treat everyone with a certain minimum level of respect so that you don't screw up those relationships and build a reputation that makes you be someone that you don't want to deal with, right? And so uh, I, in building, like Gavin was talking about, and working with your friends to identify mistakes and uh, with me building those connections and being honest and respectful just in case in the future you don't know where it's, where it's going to be. And so you want to have at least like a minimum positive relationship with everyone you interact with. Because if you have a negative one, then that, that anger and resentment and revenge will just become a problem down the road that you don't want to deal with. Which sort of leads us in to rule 10, which is talking about being precise with your speech. Uh, he mentions here that there's a story where um, this little boy sees a tiny dragon. It's like, look, Ma, there's a dragon. Uh, and she's like, oh no, dragons don't exist. And then at, when she does that, the dragon grows a little bit bigger to, because they're ignored. And over time, just as uh, every time someone says, oh, the dragon doesn't exist, the dragon gets a little bigger. And eventually, it's a chaotic problem occupying the entire house. And finally, it gets the attention and shrinks back to a normal size once it's recognized as being this once they recognize that there is a dragon and it has grown large enough to take over the entire house. And so that sort of, um, that fable, I guess, captures the, what this rule is all about, which is recognizing problems and identifying them before they become big enough to actually do damage. And so by being precise in your speech and confronting the ugliness of the problem, saying, yes, there's evil fire breathing dragon, whatever it is, whether it's self-doubt or, um, uh, self-doubt is the one that comes to mind for me, that you recognize, oh, I don't think I can do this, but I'm going to do it anyways, and confronting it that way. But confronting ugly problems and being precise about it, and that that's how you sort of avoid these small things becoming big things in the future. It's just focusing on it and recognizing it and being just very focused on what it is. Because at the end of the day, the if you see a problem and you don't fix it right then and there, the problem is probably not going to get any better. I, I think the problem is going to get a lot bigger. And like with this dragon example that Jordan Peterson brings into this chapter, I, I really did like it. You know, the dragon starts off as a really small dragon. And what you'll find is that the family ignores the dragon. And by the end of the story, the, the dragon's the size of the house, right? The problem has become a lot bigger because no one within the family decided to address the elephant in the room, the dragon in the room in this situation, right? They all kind of just dismissed it and the problem became a lot bigger. So what you want to do is is you want to address these problems as quickly as you can. And with this chapter, with this, with this rule, I was trying to figure out for a little bit why the rule was called be precise with your speech. And I think one thing that I thought of at least was when you're addressing problems to somebody else, 
you want to be as precise when you're addressing the problem to the other person as you can. You don't want to you don't want to kind of beat around it a little bit and try to like almost avoid it. You want to be very direct with the person that you're talking to. And I think the more direct you are with the problem at hand, the higher your odds are of actually fixing the problem here. Because if you kind of like you address the problem, but not entirely, you're probably not going to be on the same wavelength as the person you're talking to. And if you really want to solve a problem, you need to make sure that you and the other person that you have the problem with understand the full extent of the problem at hand, at least from your perspective. And then hopefully you can get their perspective. And hopefully they're being precise with their speech when they're telling you what their perspective of the problem actually is. And so in order to solve problems, you need to be as precise as humanly possible when you're actually addressing it to the other person you're talking to. And I think at the end of the day, if you do that, addressing problems, not dismissing them, okay? Because if you dismiss them, it'll get bigger like we talked about with the dragon story. So just make sure you're being as precise as possible when you bring it up to the other person. And now, I know you guys have been waiting for this, we're at <laughs> rule 11, which Gavin mentioned yes. in the last Yes, so. best chapter in the entire book. It's a really long chapter. Yeah. He talks about a lot of different things. And the unfortunate part is we're not going to be able to touch on everything that he talked about within this chapter. We're going to talk about as much as we can the the stuff that we thought was noteworthy at least. Yeah. But he does talk a, a lot about very, very interesting things. Sometimes when, when I was reading this chapter, I, I found myself at parts, at least, like, wait, what does this have to do with anything? And, like, the, the title of the chapter is pretty interesting. The rule, rule 11 here is don't bother children when they are skateboarding. And when you, when you hear that, you're like, what, what in the world is this chapter going to be about? Like, let children skateboard, I guess, and the world will be a better place. And I think he actually makes a really compelling argument here with leaving children alone when they are skateboarding but essentially what he's trying to to tell us by this is we want to become competent people right at the end of the day our goal is to become a competent resilient person right and i think this does have this idea this concept here has parallels with a previous rule the rule where it talks about not letting your children do something that never let your children do anything that would displease you yeah something like that and the goal here is the goal in that chapter at least was to raise a child that is able to pursue adversity to brush off chaos like it's nothing because at the end of the day if, if your goal is to deflect all the chaos from this child's life they're not going to become anything right the second chaos seeps its way through that shield that you're holding up this child's going to fold right and so in this chapter with the skateboarders leave children alone when they're skateboarding he's t he's talking about how these children these children out here i guess 18 year olds whatever these guys out here skateboarding, they're not skateboarding with any helmets on. 
they're ensuing risk here, right? And that's part of it. That's part of them becoming a resilient person. The, the, the guy out there that's skateboarding two hours a day without a helmet on is probably going to be a more resilient, competent person than, than the dude that's staying indoors playing video games all day. And I think getting into these situations akin to the skateboarding one where there is risk involved, I think is at the end of the day is going to help you become a more competent person. So I guess the number one 
theme of this to me is just, you know, become competent above anything else, above any fake feelings of success. You need to pursue what actually is meaningful and what actually creates value. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> I think uh, something that has helped me with my overall competence has been being on a on a sports team, especially in high school. I think that's when the bulk of the the growth really came and, and really hit. And I'm I'm not talking about hazing by any means. I'm talking about just being in an environment with a bunch of other men that have been in this environment a lot longer than you and you know they kind of they've been there for a long time and they know what you should and shouldn't be doing and and when you're put in an environment where there's a bunch of guys around each other especially competitive ones for that matter in order to get to the top it's pretty difficult right don't lie to yourself and say that it's easy or or and, and especially like what I was saying, if, if you have a bunch of people that are hyper competitive, sort of like alpha males in that sense, it's really difficult to get to the top. And, and that can make you become a lot more competent in the end. Jordan says in this chapter that men essentially enforce a code of behavior on each other when working with one another. He says, do your work, pull your weight, stay awake and pay attention. Don't whine or be touchy. Stand up for your friends. Don't suck up and don't snitch. Don't be a slave to stupid rules, okay? Don't be dependent at all, ever, period. The harassment that is part of acceptance on a working crew is a test. Are you tough, entertaining, competent, and reliable? If not, go away. Simple as that. We don't need to feel sorry for you. And those kind of rules that these environments, especially male environments, impose upon each other, I think are pretty good for your development in the end. I'm not advocating for hazing in any way, shape, or form. I'm advocating for the environments that make strong people, okay? And sometimes it may make you feel uncomfortable at times, right? Like when someone makes fun of you for messing up or something like that, you're probably not going to mess up the same way ever again, are you, right? Because you're going to remember that and uh, it may haunt you a little bit, but you're going to have to suck it up. And if you want any shot at winning, if you want any shot at being better than the other people in this particular group, you're going to have to suck it up, get better, and compete. Yeah, and, and I can speak to the same thing. I, I was on academic decathlon in high school, and there was a coach that he didn't always bring it up, but he could look at you and you could tell that he saw through everything, all your excuses, and like, no, I, he would look at you and you would know that, oh, just because I said, oh, I didn't have time to study, he would look at you and you'd be like, oh, no, I had time to study. I prioritize other stuff and I should have been focused on this. And it, it, now, uh, in I, I've adopted a different approach where rather than coming up with excuses or trying to avoid that embarrassment, especially in like math class where no one wants to talk, I, I'm, every time, okay, anytime the teacher asks a question, I'm probably one of the first hands up and I'm often wrong, but I'm just like, I'm going to answer this question and be like, put my best answer on paper, and if I mess up, then that embarrassment helps me to remember and get the right answer. If I'm right, then the pride of being right attaches that emotion to that memory, and then it becomes easier to remember. So just constantly not being afraid of messing up, but just going through as many iterations as you can, where you test and receive feedback, and then can adapt to that test constantly over and over again, 
that's how you get better. It's, it's not about 10,000 hours. It's about thousands and thousands of iterations where you can test something, give feedback, and then apply that to learn things. And I think my favorite quote in this entire book comes from this particular chapter. He drops it at the very end, and Jordan says that, and if you think tough men are dangerous, wait until you see what weak men are capable of. I think that's a really interesting chapter because oftentimes when some people look at what these so-called dangerous, powerful men are doing within society, they're like, you know what? Like, It's almost like an attack on masculinity in that matter. And I guess the re I think the reason why he made this chapter in the first place is because men nowadays are probably not as weak as men used to be. And so that definitely can have its problems on society. You may have less men doing dangerous jobs as a result of that. And that's probably not the best for society in the end. And that's essentially everything we have to say about rule 11. A lot to be said about it. If you like what we were saying about it, definitely, if you haven't read it already, I definitely recommend my favorite rule in the book. And without further ado, we're going to talk about rule 12 here last rule in the entire book and this rule is pet a cat when you encounter one okay and so essentially what he's saying is you want to make sure that when something good happens you want to be grateful for it okay if, if something good happens you don't want to brush it off and be like, you know what, this was deserved. My luck has finally come, right? You know, I mean, if especially if you've seen a lot of misfortune or chaos in your life, and and when something finally does happen, that's good. You need to take your time and and soak it up because in a world in the world that we live in, it could sometimes be really easy to focus on the negatives rather than the positives. Because there, there are a lot of negatives, and ne negatives stand out way more than positives do. I remember, I think, some. every time I listen to YouTubers talk about, like, the comment section of their videos, it seems like they, in most videos, <clears throat> the positive comments way out-ratio the negative ones. But the negatives, the negative comments, they stand out, and... One negative comment, one negative comment among hundreds of positive comments could be the only comment that that YouTuber notices or even remembers a few weeks, maybe even years in the future. And so I think we as people need to do a lot better of a job soaking in the things that are actually good within our lives. I Yesterday, I had a time trial for for track and the time trial is just essentially a race with all my teammates and I did pretty bad and at first I was really sad about it and and I was like dang why why now like why did I ha have such a bad race because uh, I didn't place as good as I normally do and after further examination after further thought I, I realized that you know I'd ha I've had a lot of really good races this year and it's about time that I got hit with the bad one. So just when those good moments happen, make sure to, to soak them up because sometimes they're not going to happen.
Yeah, and I think part of the reason why gratitude is so, so, so important is it's impossible to have any success if you're not grateful and appreciative of it. No, no matter how much money, how much status, whatever it is that's your metric of success, no matter how much of that you get, if you can't appreciate uh, each level as you obtain it, it's not going to be worth anything in the end, and a billion dollars is going to be, oh, well, it's not a trillion, so woe is me. Uh, it's important to be grateful because th that's gratitude is that sort of value that um, in the hierarchy that you're trying to achieve, that if you appreciate what you have, you can, uh, you, you can feel that success. Uh, yeah. Well, what actually is important isn't like reality so much as your perception of reality. And so if you perceive something as n not good enough and, and you're just never grateful for anything, you're probably not going to, no matter what you receive, it's not going to be enough. And so that's sort of my number one takeaway from Rule 12. And that's 12 Rules for Life by Jordan B. Anderson. Be sure to check out episode one because this is a fantastic book and be sure to read it. Um, and I thought it was really interesting. The, one of the first quotes on the back is, everyone must read 12 Rules for Life and then pass it on to a friend. From Chris Evans. So. I appreciated that quote, and I think that's probably true. Everyone should take a look at what's said here, and be sure to catch up with us next week. Tuesday at noon, we'll be releasing episode, I, that would be episode seven, on Man's Search for Meaning by, I don't remember who it's by. I forgot who it's by. This book was released a long time ago. And they've kept coming up with a bunch of new iterations of the book because this book is by a Holocaust survivor. So if you can only imagine, it has been around for a long time. But the guy that wrote it kind of escapes me right now. Anyway, that be on the lookout for that episode. I've heard good things about the book. One of my friends read it, and he said it was a really good one. So... surprise for when we hit double digits episode 10 so be sure to subscribe so you can uh, receive the update on that and thank you so much for watching as always any comments or thoughts please include um, in the comment section and if you like this please leave a like thank you so much and we'll see you next week